This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Chasing Artwork, who will be premiering his third art book at the Emerald City Comic Con this March 14th to 17th. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. We're here with our special guest and co-host and producer, Dan. Hi, I'm not a co-host. Well, every now and then you take over the microphone, I do. so you're an honorary well, co-host. We want higher ratings and more views. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more views for a podcast? Uh, well, that's incorrect, Justin. <laughs> um, Think about we the brought views. Dan on because he's going to ask us some telling questions. We have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, coming up, and I don't really know where to start. And so Dan said, maybe I'll come on and ask some questions. Let's start with this past weekend, because you had a very busy weekend. Uh, yes. Saturday was Winterfest, which is kind of like your first con of the year. Like, this is, you've had the big, long stretch of no conventions. You had Winterfest, now you're going to more conventions coming up. So how was Winterfest for you guys? Winterfest is kind of like the moment where the groundhog comes out of the hole. Yeah. And if he, like, sees his shadow, I don't know how that works. If you see it, he goes back in. I don't think he ever out. doesn't see his shadow here in Winnipeg. We yeah. always get six more weeks of winter. That's right. We always get six. <laughs> but, in, but in this case, as soon as we come out of the hole, we get immediately six more weeks of conventions. <laughs> right? So uh, Winterfest is a great little show. It's run so well. It's yeah. an icon. Winnipeg runs the show they've got um i think at the heart of it is their volunteers like the volunteers clearly want to be there they're really excited i don't know what they do for the volunteers there must be some other incentives for them that is not just like helping us carry our heavy stuff and like they all from what i've gathered just based on who i've spoken to they all really love anime they all want to celebrate it and they that's their passion for the for the medium and for the the content is yeah. what drives them they want to put on the best possible anime convention i think that comes through an icon as well in july totally. yeah. absolutely that's, yeah that's yeah. the bigger like three-day yeah. con but the fact that they just have this one day event it goes all like it goes all well it goes to midnight doesn't it or something it does the marketplace is from 12 till 8 o'clock but if you want to stick around it goes until midnight yeah, midnight or two, they have there's like, like dances and dances, stuff like that. Yeah. And there's stuff for Lots the community. Of playing and yeah, yeah, it's not just a show about buying stuff, which I think is goes a long way for why. Oh yeah, that's what it people has really built want. Such a community yeah. and uh, they have a bunch of video programming. So if you're new to the scene and you want to see like what all the fuss is about, they have like greatest hits of films playing all over like for the whole day, and you have you know people cruising in and out and just with their minds blown, uh, which is like so refreshing and nice it's a great first show for the season because it's only one day so it's an easy lead up and was last year your first year at winterfest yeah this is my third icon run event okay because uh, you're fairly new to the anime convention scene in general yeah and it's your fault that it's i'm my in fault. it now yeah <laughs> so um what i've always yeah i've always kind of put them in different camps um normal comic conventions are is a good range of hardcore, you know, nerds that are really, really into their fandoms, as well as there is kind of like, there's a casual crowd as well who's just there to check things out and they're... Um, yeah, they've seen a science fiction movie once, so they yeah. came with their boyfriend. Or they saw the people. Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Marvel Cinematic Universe has done a lot for yeah. the, Comic-Cons, for sure. The attendees of an anime convention, they are a couple levels above 
that hardcore nerd that you usually find at a comic convention. I find so people are so passionate about their fandoms and about um, the anime culture. It's the I will pontific- the vibe is different. Yeah, and I will pontificate as to why my, I'll be an armchair psychologist for this mm-hmm. one. Um, it's a younger audience, right? In general, at the uh, anime shows, and they have spent their formative years connected to a certain show or a certain thing. And so it has a lot, it means a lot more to them. I also think it's not it as mainstream as comic book stuff is now. So they probably can't express their, their love of this right. during most of their... Totally. Well, nowhere else can I have such a like, deep dive into the Ghost in the Shell uh, anime and manga, which like no one ever wants to talk to me about at regular comic shows, but at <laughs> Icon, I can find a hundred people who really want to talk about my the kids, major. My kids are into anime, um, in particular My Hero Academia. They really enjoy that series, and they started buying all the manga, as my son calls it, right? Manga. Um, so they started buying those, and they're they're reading through all of those. And uh, I'm wondering, is that now you say it's being a, a younger audience? Does that mean like do they age out? Do they outgrow anime eventually, mm-hmm. or do you see People who just kind of grow up with it continue to love it. So my personal experience is that when I was like 15 to 18 is when I first saw like bootlegs of Akira and like that kind of thing, right? Um, But now it's more like you can get it. You can go on Crunchyroll. You can go like all these streaming services. You can just get all the, you know, um, animated content that you want. So I don't think there'll be an age out the same way. Like there was this gap in our generation where there was a little bit of it and because it was a cartoon and because we were teenagers we were like wow it's a cartoon that has blood or like adult situations in it wow yeah, that's crazy that's what I, that's what akira was the gateway drug for me into yeah, that for stuff sure. like that's just the the film that kind of changed everything but i think like the this generation won't age out of it because there is steady content for them at every right. threshold right. in their life Right? It's too bad yeah. Sam is in here. Sam's a big anime. Oh, she is. Yeah. Yeah. And if we so. could all, you know, tumble into the Studio Ghibli feels if we want to. Ah, uh, yes. Right? Grave of Fireflies. Such an uplifting thing. <laughs> if you want to have um, a really good cry, Grave of Fireflies. <laughs> <laughs> What's with all the noise in your brain today? Must be a loose wire. Prior to uh, the Icon Winterfest as well, we did a Pikachu event right. um, last week. Pachacucha. Pachacucha. Pikachu. Anyways. Pikachu. Uh, <laughs> Pikachu? Let's bring it all together. Um, Detective Pikachu. And we're back in anime. That's right. And all three of us did did a talk. So I think we'll probably we'll talk about that on like one of the next podcasts when we get all the, the audio for it. So yes. we can like talk about it and then do all that. But I found it kind of, um, it was like my first public speaking event in a while. And it was like I was rusty all over again. Whereas, like, after doing a couple school visits and stuff like that, you kind of get in the groove. And I just found that was interesting how you get out of practice yeah, at public speaking. Yeah, public speaking, speaking can be a, yeah. But I noticed about your presentation is that you owned your own rustiness at the beginning. You were like, oh, hi, everyone. I haven't done this in a little while. Mm-hmm. But here's how my last one went. Like, you prefaced it by talking about a terrible experience. That lowers everybody's expectations. Right, yeah. And then, <laughs> but um, the way in which you were so casual about talking to the crowd demonstrates that even though you felt rusty you're pretty comfortable in front of a big group of people these days i think so maybe like your threshold for what is good or bad you've grown is i guess what i'm getting at you've grown as a person you just put in the practice yeah we've been that's been a topic we've been talking about and 
couple different groups of friends. We've been talking about the amount of time you put into things before you start seeing results, and yeah. and it's it always just comes down to practice. Yeah, and I was saying to uh, uh, Tara, I was saying to my wife that she was like, "Yeah, are you nervous?" I was like, "No, that's gone away now. I don't get nervous about speaking in front of people anymore at all," which is kind of that's weird you've done it a lot that's because you've done it a lot even yeah. your teaching experience is that imagine teaching has a lot to do with that like I, I get nervous in front of a new class in, in school when I get new students yeah. but that goes away as I get to know them right but uh, anytime in front, I'm in front of a new crowd I get a bit nervous about stuff but see but I wonder so what are you nervous about though I don't know Exactly. I don't right. know. No, nothing. <laughs> so if you, I find that when you have that moment of nervousness, like if you ask yourself what it is that you're afraid of, usually it's that like you'll look like an idiot in front of everyone. Yeah. Right. I guess so. So I think it's a good idea just to open with that. That, that it's a very good opening right? uh, like, uh, idea, Justin, for sure. You just op- yeah. like so what you did, right? You just opened with like, hey, this might go really badly. But I'm gonna. I'm here to do my best. And the thing is, everyone in that audience sympathizes because yeah. no, most people don't like doing it. No. Most people do not. And I have taught um, uh, presentation uh, techniques to graphic design students, uh, which is usually a pretty introverted bunch, and they don't <laughs> love getting up in front right. of even their classmates. It's always mm-hmm. a bit of a um, like pulling teeth for them. So yeah, most people will sympathize. If you're not good at it, or you think you're not going to be good at it, they'll be like, "Oh, okay, that's no problem." They'll forgive you a lot. Right. So really, you're right. Like you don't really have a lot to worry about. And Pachakacha is particularly great because it's one way or another. It's like six minutes and forty seconds, and you're done. So you don't even have time really to do it badly. Right. Even if people are like, "Oh, this isn't very good," then it's over. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. On to the you're next one. Not there one. for long. Right. You're not there for long. So that part's good. But it. Um, oh, I was going to say something about that. It comes back to this idea that when you're preparing for something, right, there is the preparation you do in advance, you know, whether, you know, whatever it is. Uh, with Pachakacha, we had to prepare 20 slides that were going to be up for 20 seconds. You have to talk about those things and share a specific experience, something that you are uh, passionate about or interested in. Now, just a quick question. Is it time? Do you just press it and it starts and then it times it out at 20 seconds or do you have to do it yourself? You have no control. Okay. Once you hit the stage, it starts and, and you, you go. You go, okay. Yeah. Okay. So a common problem that I've noticed since, and I've been going, they started around 2011 and I've been to probably half a dozen of them and I've presented at a couple. When people try to time their speech to their 20 second slides, unless they really know what they're doing public speaking wise, right. it always falls apart. They, mm. they rush or they go too slow yeah. and then there's pauses and they're waiting for the next slide or they're talking over themselves. And so um, What I tried to do for mine is I had a specific phrase that I wanted to say during the slide, that the slide corresponded roughly to a specific idea. But I didn't try to match like a beat to like the change of the slide. Mm-hmm. I just tried to have the thing I was talking about cover a point that was related to the image and okay. i find that that's um having done i've done yeah four or five of them now it's it seems to be the best way to go mm-hmm. hmm. now other people are way better at it like they practice a ton and they just you know blow you out of the water it sure. seems to me as long as you can speak clearly about the image on the screen whatever that image is right. like even if you miss one and you don't speak about it that's probably okay right like i don't know if you're speaking about totally. something absolutely like, it's not like you speak for the 20 crowd seconds doesn't and, know what you what they missed right they don't exactly. know what yeah. you prepared yeah right and all all the all the images are related to whatever the topic is whatever your yeah. main topic is so regardless they're getting something from it whether just looking at an image or hearing you speak about it they're getting something out of the presentation yeah. 
Greg, you had that great story about he went on, he did a TV interview a while back and there was somebody who was very nervous about going up and talking about whatever field or whatever expertise they were. Oh yeah, the people in, in the green room ahead of, uh, ahead right. of me. Right, yeah. and you gave them the advice, like just you're passionate about that one thing, you're just going to talk about that one thing. and Yeah. I just, what the advice I gave, they were like, I don't know what we're, you know, we're going to, they're going to ask us a bunch of questions and I'm really nervous about what I'm going to do. I'm like, listen, you made the thing. I forget what it was, but it was some process that they had invented or created. And I said, when in doubt, talk process because you'll remember it. It's completely, you're the expert on that thing yeah. and that will yeah. come through and any nervousness will be covered up or, or carried along by how competent you are mm -hmm. speaking about something you remember specifically and they just both looked at me and were like wow that's super good advice and i was like i've screwed up tons of these so <laughs> <laughs> that's how i learned about i it. did a, the, the most recent thing for me was the uh podcasting presentation i did at the chamber of commerce right. uh, a while back and yeah i was like the expert in the room as far as process that's what i talked about is exactly exactly what we're doing here how to record the podcast what equipment to use what software to use right. and that was that's like second nature to me by now so it was very easy to talk about and i was not as nervous once i got up there i was not as nervous right um the nervousness came from the beginning when the uh the tech guys can figure out a way to mirror my computer onto the projector. That was always an awkward right. thing. Never Not goes the way it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to. Now for this one, for for yours, did they? Do you just give them the slideshow and they set it all up? Yeah, so you correct. don't. Have to, okay, that's yeah. the best way to do it. Yeah. Because you just give them the, the PowerPoint or whatever it is, and then they just have it ready to go. They've tested it out. They know that it's going to play, and then you just go up there and talk. Well, and when I sent mine in, they were like, "Hey, that's uh, twenty percent low on the resolution. Right. Here's how you could change your settings so that when you export it from your slide deck, yep. it comes this way." Yep. It was, you know, like they clearly know what they're doing. Yep. Right. Um, but this connects to I'm putting together a few pitches for publishers right now, and so having the Pechikucha be the last thing that I worked on in that regards, it's kind of infused my head with what is the maximum amount of impact I can have with the minimum amount of prepared materials? Like I have a number of graphic novels that are, uh, I have enough pages of each one that I think it's uh, worthwhile to show a publisher. I want to show them everything. Yeah. But I realize that that's actually wrongheaded, right? Because if you show them everything, then they will have so many more questions. I don't want the, the buy-in to be, here's five plot threads, trust me, I can fit them together. I need the buy-in to be, I have an interesting story and I can do these interesting visuals. Can we now have a further conversation about that, mm -hmm. right? And so the first, like two days ago, I was putting a bunch of that stuff together uh, and for you know the dear listeners wondering how I go about doing that, I just uh, link all my Photoshop files to an InDesign file and I build a PDF that is essentially, if somebody, if I'm not there to introduce it, could that little comic of what the comic's about tell that story, right? And I just put in little notes, and any time that the page isn't finished, I just have something that floats over top of it explaining what's supposed to be there. But the idea is that it's just supposed to be a brief introduction. But a couple of my projects I have, you know, 40 or 50 pages of, and you get into this like, oh, I wanna show everything, I wanna, you know, if only they got to this part, they'd love it. Then when I was doing, and then I went back and looked at what I was doing for my pitches. And I was like, no, these are all too big. They all expect too much attention. This is not something a busy person can look at and get an idea of. And since I've been looking at it through that lens of like, imagine you're an editor and you have a lot to do today 
and you maybe have five minutes to go over this guy's thing and see if it's worth a follow-up meeting that's what i'm building now and i've gone back and redone all of my pitches to reflect simply that it's an elevator pitch in pdf form yeah and you get i get maybe you i shouldn't speak for you dear listener but i get into this habit of wanting to show everything or show too much or um talk about the broader themes and the bigger ideas and what it really means and like that's for the follow-up that's for when you have an editor and right. they've agreed to the project or they've agreed to hear more about it it's not for the initial um the initial step and i got uh, what is the name of it i'll look it up while you guys are talking there was a podcast that i was listening to which is like 15 minutes long and it's um, a bunch of writers talking about their process and tying into what we're talking about here right now they said that uh, when you're writing for tv or writing for film there's this rule in the writer's room that the audience will accept a single buy-in sort of for the first 30 minutes, meaning that you cannot ask them to suspend their disbelief for more than one thing on a new series. Okay. Right? For yeah. longer than 30 minutes, which means if it's TV, one buy-in per episode, episode. yeah. Right? And if it's a film, right, you can introduce something crazy, but you got to ride it out, let people experience that and understand it and know what it is. And I was realizing that in my pitch, I had too many buy-ins. It was like, this will happen, and then this will happen, and then this will happen. Mm. But if you're not already invested, those step twos and threes are premature in the conversation, right. right? They have to like that first part. And hopefully the question then is asked, what is what happens in the story? And then you have the answer. Hmm. And it comes back to being the expert, right? Knowing your own story really well. And if you can get that person on the phone or get that person into a room and they say, hey, we're interested in this, tell me more about it. Now you're the expert. Don't forget, we're section nine. We'll clean it up. We're the ones who get our hands dirty. I'll be at Fan Expo this weekend coming up, and so I'll get lots of practice because people always ask you what's the new thing, and you have to encapsulate it into a single sentence. Mm -hmm. I always find that. So the sentences that survive after a three-day show of talking about things nonstop for 10 hours a day, the ways in which you describe it that seem to be resonating so, with people. Uh, it, it, so, yeah. So I imagine it's like a through, cage match through for ideas. trial and error, you discover like the phrasing that, that people, people to. Oh, it's so yeah. cool. It's, it's like rewriting in your head when you're Constantly. speaking. Yeah. So how do you, you just remember those things that you said or have you have to write them down? Yeah. You have the benefit of, you know, you describe a book a certain way and then someone's like, meh, okay. And they're like, don't see. And then you describe it another way and someone goes, oh, tell me more. And uh, so okay. then you start with the next time a person asks you with the one that worked better. And if they say, oh, tell me. And, you know, you just get a little cool. deeper each time. Very neat. At least that's how I like doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you guys, so you guys are both going to Fan Expo Vancouver? I am not. No? He's got um, busy shows right after that, though. Oh, yeah. Okay. And the reason for that is uh, Fan Expo Vancouver recently changed their scheduling. So they actually, the last Fan Expo in Vancouver was in November. Mm -hmm. um, oh, okay. Yeah, it then, seemed like it was a weird timing. Okay. Yeah, so they changed it back to March. It was always it was originally in March, and they moved it to November for two, three years, and now they're moving it back to March. So it would have been my last show of the year and my first show of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and I also do an anime convention in Vancouver, so I just felt like I was maybe hitting the Vancouver crowd too many times, and I wouldn't have enough um, new stuff in between shows. Um, so it just seemed like a good opportunity to give them a little bit of a break, and then I'll come back next year, next March. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that seems smart because yeah, they you, they just saw you in November. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And then shows that I did last year, you're doing uh, Emerald City Comic Con and, and you're doing Chicago, Chicago which yeah. I'm not doing either of those because oh, I have okay. work to do on the play and on Good Boys. So I have two books basically to finish. So I'm going to bow out of doing those shows oh. um, in service of my deadlines. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what are, what are you looking forward to about uh, Vancouver? How, do you expect it to be different because it's scheduled at a different time of year? Or? Well, Vancouver is not a place I've been as often as Justin has been, so I am not overly concerned with um, you know having oversaturated the market. But even if I had, uh, last time I was in Vancouver, I did not have uh, Apocrypha. I did not have copies of the new Baby Metal mm-hmm. book. Um, I didn't have any new projects to pitch, right? So I have... A couple of things that are I've new stuff for the table, and then I have uh, hopefully a meeting with uh, a contact that I have at um, Scholastic, and then a comics editor that I've lined up a meeting with, and possibly a film and TV editor also. So Vancouver is just like it's a good double dip trip for me. There's a lot of different things going on in Vancouver, and yeah, you can, you can access that. So and now for the dear listener who thinks that sounds super important, these are all pretty <laughs> early stage <laughs> conversations where you just figure out. You know, is there any, um, can there be symbiosis between your ideas, right? It's just so, about credibility, right? Is this yeah. a real person who actually can string a sentence together? That's, <laughs> That's right, yeah. what it is. And you show up, you're only as good as your last project, right? So showing up with something that um, I think... I put it together and it's pretty good, right? Yeah. Being able to put a park in front of people and say, like, here's the last thing I did and here's the next thing I want to do. Those are, um, you know, those can work out pretty well. And even if they don't, it's, it's again, it's what we're talking about. It's about that practice, right? If you want to be good in a room, right, convincing people to risk huge sums of money on your intellectual property, it takes practice to see what actually works and also to know when they're, where their pushback is because everyone has something they want from you. No one's going to front that kind of capital without lots of asks. Yeah. Right, and you need to get used to hearing what they are, knowing what they are, knowing where your lines are, and um, you know that's going to be good moving forward. Justin and I have a bunch of projects that I think uh, are going to get us in some rooms, and we need to have practice doing that. So mm-hmm. any opportunity I have to be told no by somebody important, uh, I'm going to take a shot at. I'm also, while I'm in Vancouver, going to catch up with a, an old friend of mine from high school that oh. we used to hang out with like constantly, who saw on social media that I would be there. And so it's like, hey, you're in Vancouver, let's hang out. So shout out to Aaron. I look forward to our dinner on Thursday. Um, but the, again, this comes back to like what we're doing. It's new. It's like kind of a first show for me. Like I did this little one day show here local. We've had, I don't know how many months off where we were just making stuff in the studio. Not that many. Well, no, December, January, like two and a half months. Yeah, that seems like that's the longest idle time we've had in a long time. <laughs> and right. it wasn't very idle. No, it wasn't very idle. <laughs> yeah, we just on. finished a book, right? That's all. Um, what was I going to say about this? But there also comes, there's like a, you got to get your travel legs back, right? Mm-hmm. Where you don't want to use up all of your... So, dear listener, if you travel to shows, I imagine in my year that I have kind of a bank of patience that I spend on travel Mm. and I try to be real careful not to use it all up early in the early in the year and so what I do against travel patience using up my bank of travel patience is I try to be overly prepared for the first bunch of shows 
so that everything goes smoothly, right? Like I get my ride, I have my cab booked early, I have my, you know, my hotels, we know where everything is, I know how to get there, it's one we've already stayed at before, so all of the things that normally use up your travel patience for the first few shows, I try to make sure are. Have you ever gone right to the limit? Do you have to overdraw on your travel patients? Uh, we came close, I think, at the end of, what, when was that? I felt like I was making an overdraw when they switched us, when they switched our flights and we ran across the airport and then we were like. That was New York, I think. I forget where that was. on the way back from Chicago oh. where they told you the wrong gate. Yeah, that's right. And sent me, yeah. So I was close there, but uh, yeah. But you have to expect that kind of stuff. It happens. It happens yeah. when you travel. And I think that's my point is that yeah. you must expect yes. it. Yes. Right? Not. You must expect it. And as much as you want to take the ability to travel with ease for granted, it's actually like amazing that this little bag of meat is going to get transported <laughs> to the other side of bags the, of mostly water. But, <laughs> that's right. Bags of mostly water, uh, transport to the other side of the country with all my stuff. And then back again in a timely fashion. Yeah. Like no, that. it's, it's a miracle of technology and it's a miracle that more planes don't crash. Thanks uh, for that. <laughs> um, dear listeners, if this is my last podcast, I want you to know how much I've appreciated. Our no, time you'll together. get there. You'll get there. Fine. Data. You'll be killed if you return. I'm warning you to watch your comments. You spent a bit of time uh, talking to some other podcasters here in Winnipeg. Yes. You went to a, a podcast meetup. Yeah, that's so like a us, thing. Tell us about that. So there is a podcast festival that is was here uh, last September, uh, organized by the fellow who runs the podcast, Witch Police. Yes. Um, Sam. Sam's. Yes. Yeah. And he, we've been. I was on his show many years ago. Actually. Oh, okay. And. To make a long story medium, they wanted to, they, he explained that they did this little podcast festival and it was mostly people that they knew and it was a very sort of small cross section of what podcasting could be. And they're trying to expand that into bringing in more types of shows, not just interview shows, but like podcasts of all varieties and try to bring more of that to a new September show. And they thought that the easiest way to do that was to reach out to the community uh, on a regular basis and let people have, again, that FaceTime, what we're talking about, like let everyone meet and see and figure out what they think about each other. And share best practices and that That's kind right. of stuff. That's right. So the first, like there were people there who were sharing, you know, mic techniques and like easy ways to get in and what the costs are and how to, you know, like I explained, everyone else knew what everything was called. I explained, I described your little tour over there <laughs> and I described our microphones and I told them some of the stuff we were using and they all like had that figured out. And there were different people using lots of different stuff. Yeah. And most of it was to do with their, uh, the ease in which they wanted to report, record their own type of show. Yeah. Right. So that was kind of neat. And then different people talking about like, you know, how do you grow your audience? Why do you grow your audience? Like for what, am I doing this show just for me or am I doing it for other people? You know, and a bunch of people who work for, uh, APTN were there talking about, you know, they have their day job in, um, public broadcasting and yet they still want to make content for themselves and it was just it was a neat it was a neat meetup uh, a large cross-section of the podcasting community so uh once a month we're gonna meet yeah i'll, I'll yeah. try and uh, make it up to the next one it uh, depends on what it is but it sounds like a great uh, it's a great way to grow the community and and we have a very passionate community of podcasting here in winnipeg um it's it's tough to sell this and i teach this to students so i we go through this stuff i teach all this stuff that we do i i pass on that knowledge to the students 
And, but it's very tough to, in, in terms of Red River College, show them that there's a career there. Because right now there isn't. It's just right. something you do for fun. Um, the ability to make money on this is somewhat limited because it depends on, on the size of your audience. Obviously, you need a, a pretty large audience right. to make any kind of advertising revenue on it. Um, but as far as it being a value added, like that's what this podcast is for you guys. It's a value added. It's a way for people to see more deeply into your process and into what you're thinking. Um, and that's probably the best way, best reason to do it right now well, or to our, do it because you like to do yeah, it. Our mission fun. statement is sort of like if somebody's starting out, hopefully they'll learn to do something better right. than you did. Yeah, better than we did it the <laughs> first right. time. Yeah. So, but, uh, but as far as doing a podcast, because like I do my other ones, the Star Wars nerds and media nerds, because I like doing it because I like getting together with my friend and talking about Star Wars every week. Right. That's why we do it. It's not about the audience. And we do have a pretty good sized audience for that. People like to listen to that. Right. Right. So, but it's not, it's not something we ever discussed. Um, we've discussed uh, different marketing techniques, how we can market it better. Usually it's like taking enough time just to, to record and post it. The marketing always comes last. And then maybe that's a discussion you guys can have at a future meeting. Don't don't give jo uh, Jordan, Jordan <laughs> Justin the side Jordan, eye. Jordan, be quiet. Justin's talking. <laughs> um, because it's not just about social media. It's not just about yeah. posting on social media. There's all kinds of things you can do to market a podcast. But uh, I think it's a great idea to give people confidence. The whole purpose of my class is to give them the confidence to go there and to give them the tools which to be successful at it. And then it's, they can take it from there. But I think the good thing about the meetup is they said there were people there with all kinds of different experiences. And any if you talk to other like-minded people, it will give you the confidence to go forward and the confidence to try something new or well, to keep going yeah, in the it, direction you're going. You know, there was a ton of people there who were doing, you know, it's why you should make art. When you start making art, you should do it because it's fun and it gives back to you. Yeah. Right? It makes you yeah, feel exactly better. It makes thing. you feel engaged. That's why they were there. Like, we think it'll be fun to have a podcast. We're going to try having a podcast because it'll be fun and we like spending time together and we can accomplish something together. You know, maybe there's no more noble reason to do anything than that. No, exactly. You can't, you cannot, it's like the same, same way they discuss um, every YouTuber will say and my kids love YouTube so so they will like they will say I want to be a YouTuber when I grew up uh, my daughter has expressed that to me a few times and I'm like well that's fine um, but any YouTuber you speak to will say it's not a career you can necessarily plan for you have to start doing it because you love it mm -hmm. then success will come eventually and actually we have a guest can I say I can I can say it on the podcast I'll probably have announced it so we have a guest book for FanQuest who is a YouTuber called 8-Bit Music Theory. And so he has a channel. He's got maybe 250,000 subscribers, and he's got quite a, a good number of views on his videos. But all his videos have to do with uh, video game music. Cool. And it's very cool. Like, his, mm. it's just great content. And he discusses, he's actually got a degree, a music degree or whatever from, uh, I, I imagine, University of Manitoba. I don't know where he went to school. But so he's a, he is like a trained musician, as it were. And so he applies that theory to, to video game music, and it's very neat. So he's going to come in, he's going to talk about both music, uh, the, the kind of content he creates, and also the process of becoming a YouTuber. But I, I'm, I guarantee you the first thing he's going to say is, I did it because I love it. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to do these videos because I love them, and I have a lot of fun doing them, and it's not about making money. We've been listening to a lot of video game soundtracks in the studio. What are yeah. the two? Um, Kingdom you... Two Crowns 
and uh, Gris or Grease, uh, G R I S, which is a uh, it's a gorgeous. They're both like indie games. They're both gorgeous, and they both have great soundtracks. Yeah, very pleasant. Oh, time. I would uh, if we're gonna be on that topic. I have to recommend the Undertale soundtrack. Yeah, and Undertale. also uh, Delta Rune is the uh, kind of follow up. Delta Rune is oh. a mm-hmm. it's Undertale. It's a, it's a what's it called when you mix up the words anagram. Of uh, Delta Rune is an anagram of Undertale. It's the same letters, uh, um, so, like Torchwood and Doctor Who. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I never got never never occurred to me. And right? video game music is interesting to me because it's like a, it's like score for a film, but it the has, scene is different every time because you're playing it. So you're it changing has, it. Yeah. Yes, that's right. It's yeah. also like it's designed in a way to keep you from like lapsing in your attention. Like there is something psychological going on. Like there's some more. There's a deep design to video game music to I'd keep you to engaged. To, let's get him on the podcast. Oh sure, no, yeah, we'll bring him on for sure. No, he's yeah. a super nice guy and he's very excited about coming to FanQuest. The other good um, thing about um, convention life starting up again for us, I'm just realizing, is our. Uh, podcast guest roster will grow because there will yes. be visiting a lot of shows and we're going to now that we figured out how to do some what the parameters of miking just with the phone or miking with like a portable recorder definitely going to do some man on the street oh recordings. yeah that kind of stuff is awesome yeah, yeah for sure our country is a peace-loving democracy. Of course it is. You're also coming to the college next week, is it, to talk to students? Yeah. Is that next week? Yeah. So you're March. talking yeah. to... And by the way, are you coming to my class, or what's going on with that? We'll do both, yeah. Okay. We're going to come see Randy, right? Yeah. That who it is? Yeah. So what do you and guys then... talk to? And that's graphic design students. I'm so excited to gush about Vector. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So It's going to be, yeah, my time to shine, and Greg will be there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're talking to I'm the talk about first images again. Yeah, <laughs> right there. Um, so usually I I go through kind of the process of using vector in the weird way that I use it, kind of how graphic design influenced the illustration style and how I'm using that. Um, so I get to get like really technical in a way that I don't usually get to get because nobody knows what I'm talking about. So. Yeah, they'll at least know. In they'll fact, know. Yeah, you they'll be me. just they'll. Be introduced to Adobe Illustrator and Vector and be at that like really frustrated, like this is a dumb you program. A, you gave me a new InDesign hotkey <laughs> that changed my life yesterday. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this is uh, your first year students, correct? I believe they're first year. Okay. We've talked to first and second year. It kind of goes back and forth. I'm yeah. not, I can't remember which class. Anyways, I'll still gush about And the, if we're, you know, the, when we prep to go, I'm hanging air quotes, dear listener. When we prep to go to speak to a class, we realize that we have stuff that we can talk about. But we usually ask them what they, they want, want to know yeah, about that's first. Right. And then it becomes a much, um, the conversation is alive rather than us just like dictating a bunch of stuff they should know. Because, mm-hmm. you know, by the time they get out into the world, our, everything could be different anyway. So there's no sense in telling them. To be them, fair, they're going to be out in the world next year. A lot can change in a year, <laughs> especially in tech, right? Yeah. Um, so we're going to come to your class too. Yes, and it's a social media class. So it'll be mm-hmm. probably jumping off the conversation you had last episode about your social media presence and what you guys are doing differently and that kind of stuff. I think it's uh, valuable for students to talk to people who actually have a significant social media following um, because most of them don't. They're students. Right. They're just kind of starting out. Uh, a lot of them have completed um, what they call, uh, we call it an IPP, an independent professional project which is a, 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 it's whatever they, they pitch it. So it's whatever they want it to be. Some people do a novel, some people do a graphic novel, some people do a podcast. It depends on what they want to do. And so they spend a year doing this thing and they're just finishing it now. So wow. whatever, whatever is going on, um, there have been book launches all over the place. There have right. been, uh, there was a couple of, I think there's at least two graphic novels nice. this year. 
Um, but we usually have a few different ones. Like uh, one, one of note over the last few years was Matthew Dick's uh, Winter Peg. Winter Peg, yeah. Which was incredible. Yeah, Matthew uh, did a great job on it. It's such a good book. And uh, so that was his project when he was in the program. And so it does kind of spark that creative. They don't get that in the classroom, you know, right. that kind of thing. They don't, they, I will show them how to create a podcast, but this is a chance for them to create their own podcast. Right. Uh, the one that I was, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an advisor for a few amount of students, a couple of students. And one of the ones I have was a, a podcast called Super Bomb, which I'll give a shout out to here because I think your audience would also enjoy it. And it's essentially how did this get made, but for superhero movies. Right. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I'm talking about the, the uh, most comically bad comic book movies ever made. And so they go through all the bad comic book movies. And I know you don't like to, to talk smack about... Just don't like dissing on Yeah, people. no, I understand that. But it's, it's um, I think if you come at it from, a, um, I, you know, if you come at it from the, the thought that nobody goes out and intends to make a bad movie, right? right. Everyone has the best interest. I think everyone mostly has Tries the to do best, best interest yeah. in heart. Maybe. There's, there's some, yeah, especially with comic book movies, there are some examples of them just trying to hold on to the IP and slapping right. something. And especially like before mainstream, like before Spider-Man and was Spider-Man the first? X-Men. X-Men was before the Before X-Men, they're like in the 80s and early 90s, there's like a Captain America, there's a Fantastic oh, Four, like there's a couple, a Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple. The, the movie uh, awesome for, for Superbomb, they did the final thing was a live event at the Park Theater. They did a live podcast recording, which I love the idea of. Does it ever work out as well? Well, as... It, it was not as well as tended as they hoped, but I think mm. it's a thing that people will. It's still kind of a new idea here in Winnipeg. So yeah. I don't know that people here are quite on board with going to these, but I think if you were to hold a regular event, maybe this is what the podcast um, festival could become. Right. Um, a regular event, monthly or whatever, where you just have a bunch of podcasts coming in to record in front of an audience, and maybe that's something that could happen out of that. But the one, it went very well. It was very funny. Um, they had Kevin McDonald there from Kids in the yeah. Hall. He was very funny, and they want the movie they were talking about was Fat Rise of the Silver Surfer, Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. So they did mention the Roger Corman. Fantastic Four, which was solely made to keep the rights. Yeah, yeah. they didn't distribute they didn't, it or they didn't, didn't release it. Yeah, there's, there's bootleg copies out there, but uh, that was a Fantastic yeah, Four. Yeah, seen little clips. From it was it. made, amazing. never meant to see the light of day, yeah. and of course made in a time where we couldn't access that stuff, and now right. we can. But um, but they did speak about that, and it was a very good show. So anyway, all these students uh, will be in my class next Wednesday, and you'll come and talk to them about that. So they're going to want to know how to. They've created the content. They're going to want to know how to get that content out to how their audience. How to get audience. famous online. Well, oh, how to get no. famous, but also how to sell books. Yeah. Like, you guys do that, too. So I thought it would be very applicable for a lot of different reasons. So you guys can come in and talk to them about that. Yeah, awesome. and they'll probably have some questions we don't anticipate. Right. That, you know, those are the best ones. Yes, right? absolutely. Because you get trapped, and then you're on, you have to be honest, because it's the only answer you have. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so let me Google that. No, I'm just yeah, let me Google that. What's some good advice for our dear listeners? If we're going to stick to our mandate of, like, Learn something that you didn't know before or don't make the mistake that we've made. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself about certain things and take some time and sit down and read a book. Uh, Chillax. Yeah, right. You can feel like you're way behind. Stop and smell the roses. Well, it sounds silly in a way, (laughs) right, to tell people that good advice for a creative lifestyle is to stop working all the time, right? But... Um, We've been talking a lot about, um, Sam and me have been talking about how it stresses me out about the amount of video games that I should be playing to keep up with, <laughs> like, some of the video game stuff. And she, like, same deal when she, um, 
she needs to be reading more, but she feels like she should be working when she's reading. Right. And that's silly. Yeah, it is silly. And we should be enjoying these things. Yeah. Well, part of what you do is you consume pop culture and then you reinterpret that for mm -hmm. your designs and for your, your art. So that, that, that is part of your job. Humanity has underestimated the consequences of computerization. Nonsense! One of the things I do like about traveling is that I read a lot. Right. Right? I, yeah. take, I try to take no tech things That's along with idea. me so That's that I don't idea. have to I mean, worry it about, doesn't work you know, on the plane anyway. Why bother? It doesn't need to be plugged in. Yes. And I can That's have great. it whenever I want That's and I idea. sit from it. And I, and I like that. Some people hate reading in little um, increments like that, but I enjoy it. No, oh, I can do that too. Yeah, yeah so for sure. I really like that and it's just uh, about and I usually don't I try not to pick a book that is like on topic of what I'm working on and I don't pick a book that is related necessarily to something in my field since I'm already traveling and that's already has its own stresses I just try to but are you gonna escape. be are you gonna be reading gear and see this weekend this weekend yeah, I will but what's will cool be. about that <laughs> is that I'll just be dipping into somebody else's interpretation of uh, yeah. An idea that we had, which is like so exciting. Very cool. What if it's bad? Oh, it's not it's bad. Not Come on. No. I mean, I read the first chapter. It's great, Claire. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's important for us to let's have this discussion. What if, what if when we read it, we don't like it, or what if we disagree? This is actually more important, mm -hmm. right? What if you and I fundamentally disagree? And it's important for the dear listener to understand what we're Worst we'll case do. scenario, it's going to have a great cover, and I know I can sell that at my table. <laughs> <laughs> I more was talking about what if, oh. what if the ending is something that you love and I hate? What I'm, what I'm feeding you here is that you can tell the dear listener about how we have a contract in place that allows you to have final say anyway. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Justin is the um, primary IP. He has like a larger share of, the, he has yeah. more votes essentially. Because he came up with the Because he came up yeah. with the idea. And we put that on paper long yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought it would be good for the dear listener to know that some of those arguments that you can anticipate in that creative field, right? I'm not the one that she has to impress. So so what happens if, Justin and is. I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but if, if it did, would Claire have to rewrite it? No. Or you wouldn't just wouldn't publish it. Yeah, it would be. We would be able to. We'd have to pay her the rest of her fee. Yeah. And then it would be up to us to decide to publish it or not. Okay. Right. She did it as a work for hire. She'll get royalties and uh, copies to sell at her table. And she would actually, according to the contract, I have to clarify this. She would still, I think, be able to sell the copies that she's printing, even if we decided to kill it. Hmm. Right. As part of our contract, I, I, which is, you know, yeah. to me, fine because. She put in a lot of work. That was ever a fear. I don't think I'd have we ever. We wouldn't have done it. We no, wouldn't have sure. done it. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And like I've had enough conversations with Claire that I think she understands the the world and the sandbox that we've put her in. Yeah. And unless yeah, unless she, there's something very inappropriate yeah. in that book, that's not a that's yeah. not a fear. And even if she plays around with the canon in a way that. I'm not too sure about. I still have a lot of flexibility with what's going to happen mm -hmm. with two and three, and it's not a bad thing that if maybe she sends me off in a direction I hadn't considered, I'm I'm flexible that way. You know, I'm right. not like I don't have it written in stone in my head. So maybe a practical piece of advice for the listener here when you're doing a collaboration is not to have everything set in stone. Like you can't. 
decide what everything is and then go looking for collaborators. That's actually not collaboration, right? Yes. right? That's work for hire. Yes. If we only want you to do what we say, that's work for hire. We'll tell you what to do. That's all we expect. But when we sat down with Claire, she said, well, I want to be able to write the book you know, the way that I write books, which means I'm going to discover some things along the way. And I think that's how she put it, which like immediately I was on board. I was like, yeah, what will we discover? I don't know. That's so cool. <laughs> we gave her, we came up with a couple ideas and I think the parameters we gave her was we liked the idea of the robot ship, yeah. the the big turtle ship that kids live on. Yeah. That we gave her to be a blue beams. robot. Yeah. And I think that was pretty much it. Yeah. And for the listeners <laughs> sake, there was some architecture for what we said thematically we wanted in the story. Uh, what some key features of the geography. She asked us for a bunch of story Bible things. She asked us for a bunch of rules related to the world, uh, which we had to come up with. And then she suggested some that maybe were better. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's fine. You guys are going to have to get used to other people playing in your, your sandbox. I hope so. <laughs> It's okay. like George Lucas can't get worried about what other people come up with for Star Wars. Right? I appreciate you comparing us to George Lucas. I, I think that's a very similar situation. It's like you guys have created a world, um, and, and now you're allowing other people to create content based on your original ideas, and that's right. exactly what George Lucas did yeah. for Star Wars. Although I, I would argue he did it right away because he did direct the first one, but after that he let other people and the immediate result was the empire strikes back which was incredible actually yeah. no sorry the immediate result was the star wars holiday special yeah. which was awful <laughs> but it was because he had no input into that mm -hmm. he was too busy making empire strikes back right to have input into the holiday special <laughs> but the empire strikes back is widely regarded as the best star wars film so it is it's this could sure be the, the best, best ever book in the what if it's better than all the original? Oh, no. what, it's, it's, what if it's better than Cassie and Tom can rest in one? So, but these are real things. It's going to set the bar so okay. high. So we're joking about it, right? But these are <laughs> these are real things that happen when you're when you're the shepherd of even your own IP. Is that if you invite a collaborator, that collaborator might be more popular than the original. Like when mm -hmm. Johnny Cash did um, Hurt. Nice. And the Nine Inch Nails guys yeah. were like, we're never doing that again because yeah. he did a better job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but what if it's that situation? This is a legitimate concern, right? And you should be, you should, if you're thinking about being a collaborator with someone, you should recognize that what if their contribution is going to be lauded as the best part? And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. You have to be the kind of person that can let that be okay or don't and, do it yeah and if you're not if you think oh well i you know wouldn't like that maybe don't collaborate maybe do everything yourself see how that works out that'll teach you that collaboration is better <laughs> it, is, it is i was hoping you get around to that because yeah. it really is better when you collaborate the more more brains on anything is is a good thing for sure. And that's been one of the central ideas behind this, letting people pe play in the, the sandbox and just growing the world and the brand. Like if I just kind of keep it all to myself and do it, you know, it's going to take years to get to the point where, you know, we're at with letting a couple other people jump in. It's just, it helps make it a bigger thing and get it out there more. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And for some people, this book will be their introduction to this oh, for universe. Sure. And yeah, then right. they'll, then they'll go and, and buy a casting yeah. tonk and rust and water and, Dragon Nanny and all the other stuff. Yeah, and for the people who are wondering like how it works, you know, Justin and I tried to budget our growth related to the sales of the books themselves. So trying not to overreach. We did, you know, we did invest a little bit beyond that for the animation, maybe more than a little bit. But the point was it looks so cool. That when we when we were saying what should we do, it was, well, 
we could take this money and just spend it on stuff or we could take this money and spend it on growing the idea right and we're not talking about kingly sums but we're talking about enough that people are paid fairly for their right. share of yes, time of course right so cool see we did have we a practical thing to say there you go we're so good at podcasting this has been super pulp science where we talk about how genre gets made and we're encouraging you to keep trying things they won't always work but they'll always get better join the fight and make comments Thank you.